Thank you for listening to In Good Faith, the Central Reformed Church Sermon Podcast. This episode's sermon is titled, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, Beatitudes, and is based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It was delivered on Sunday, January 15th, 2023, by Pastor Steve Pierce. invite you to turn to page 785 in your pew Bibles, or the Bible that you may have brought with you to church today. We are looking at Matthew chapter 5, and we were, we're going to begin a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'll admit, there's nothing like listening to a good sermon. A sermon that inspires, a sermon that comforts, a sermon that stirs the soul carefully chosen words that hang pictures in the galleries of our minds. And there's a lot of wonderful sermons out there. Some are short, some are long, some are somewhere in between. And depending on your interests, you can go just about anywhere on the internet and listen to a wide variety of messages from various traditions. And before the age of podcasting and 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 live streaming, preachers could be heard on the radio. Some of you in this room probably tuned in to Norman Vincent Peale back in the day, or how about the evangelist Leonard Ravenhill, or to the colloquial sermons of Billy Sunday. Others can be heard just by simply turning the dial, and there they were on that station. Through technology, these radio evangelists had replaced the original way of receiving the message, and that was by reading sermon manuscripts. We can go all the way back to the apostles. We can go all the way back to Second Clement, which was preached maybe two or three or four years after the apostle John's death. <clears throat> Written sermons are accessible from then to the mid-1900s. I have so many on my own shelf in my study. 
These are messages that are chock full of illustrations and marvelous truth. But most of these messages now have been all but forgotten. They're collecting dust on a shelf and with them the stories of the amazing preachers who delivered them. But no doubt a retrieval of these messages is to our benefit. I'm thinking of people like Thomas Watson, Richard Baxter, and John Bunyan, all who preached incredible messages, all who were told not to assemble, not to sing, not to pray, and not to preach. But they met anyway, out in the woods and in caves and in the basements of people's homes. They met to pray, to proclaim, to bless and their example is a testament of a church that can grow and thrive despite intense persecution. And then I'm also thinking of people like John Wycliffe, who lived through the Black Death, the bubonic plague of the 1300s, when more than half of his village perished. These were people who were completely healthy on a Friday morning, but would drop dead by Saturday afternoon. He looked to God's word for comfort. And then he would craft sermons that would bless the congregation and offer hope in the midst of great pain. And then there's Hudson Taylor. When he arrived in Shanghai during the start of the Taiping Rebellion, which became the fourth bloodiest event in human history, he saw his city on fire, he saw all the pain and suffering, and yet he stayed and he created one of the biggest missionary organizations in history, each of these leaders, gifted, talented, fantastic preachers of God's word. And there's really no way to calculate how many sermons have ever been preached. Millions, billions, I'm going to go with trillions. Trillions of sermons. And yet still people will ask today, but which of these sermons is the greatest? Who gave it? When was it preached? And what did they say? Well, the greatest sermon ever preached wasn't proclaimed from this pulpit. Um, it wasn't Michael Curry when he did the royal wedding on May 19th, 2018. It wasn't Martin Luther King Jr. It wasn't the spellbinding words of Jonathan Edwards in his great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It wasn't preached by John Calvin. It wasn't preached by Martin Bootser. It wasn't even preached by Martin Luther. Now, the greatest sermon ever proclaimed took place on a mountainside by the shores of Galilee. <clears throat> and those listening were ordinary people. People who had come to receive a message about God's truth, found themselves intrigued by a wide range of subjects like prayer, money, divorce, lust, and more. The one who offered it offered a clear understanding of what a blessed life is that is pleasing to God. What it looks like on the inside as well as on the outside. Still teeming with wisdom and practical instruction for real life, this powerful sermon reveals the heart of God so that ordinary people, past, present, and future, can live a blessed life that is rewarding authentic, free from hypocrisy, and glorifying to God. A few years ago, Reader's Digest came out with a survey 
and they asked people which chapters of the Bible are the most read. And would you believe that number one was Matthew chapter 5, number two was Matthew chapter 6, and number three was Matthew chapter 7, and number four, Psalm 23. Thomas Jefferson once said, all the religion one needs is found in the Ten Commandments and in the Sermon on the Mount. Some have called it Jesus' greatest hits. Or as one pastor properly put it, it's the Magna Carta of spiritual freedom and constitution of the kingdom of God. For in it, Jesus lays out what the kingdom looks like from the inside and what its intrinsic rewards are. And the reward in every case is the same, though stated in different ways. The reward of living within this kingdom is that we get to know God and we get to become partners in God's work in our fallen world. And the sermon begins with the Beatitudes. Words that many of you have read countless times. Some of you have memorized. Maybe a couple of you here today have never heard of the Beatitudes. But they reveal the qualities needed to truly live out the word of God. The blessed ones understand the blessings God has in store for us and what it means to follow our Savior. In fact, disciples see the sin and harshness of the world and mourn for it. They desire change within themselves and they seek to make the world a better, brighter place. Jesus blessed people with these qualities as they seek to have a true and pure-hearted relationship with God. Now, one of the movies that I really like is Monty Python's Life of Brian. Now, I know that's a lot of sputting and sacrilege, but I have to tell you, there's a scene that always makes me laugh. It's the scene of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on top of the hill. And the camera pans to those standing way in the back. And they're kibitzing and yelling at each other. And they say, what did he say? He just said, blessed are the cheesemakers. Well, what's so special about the cheesemakers? I don't know, but now he just said, blessed are the Greek. And on and on it goes. And so they ask, what's that mean, blessed? What is he talking about? Blessed means happy are those who. Happy are those who. And happiness is something that can elude us. St. Augustine would, would say that Happiness is joy in the truth, and by that he meant joy in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But I stumbled across a message by Leonard Sweet where he says, the pursuit of happiness may be proclaimed as an inalienable right by the Declaration of Independence, but it continues to be an elusive quarry for most of us. That's why many are eager to embrace a scientific equation that might get them to that hard-to-attain state of happiness. That's why we have gyms and yoga classes and fitness coaches. That's why we do intermittent fasting, swim, bicycle, run, weightlift, all designed to tune and tone our bodies. The molding mantra behind all of these happiness theories is healthy body, healthy heart. 
Ten years ago, the Girl Scouts of America revamped their merit badges. And that was a good thing they did this. They revamped their merit badges to encourage and reward skills that reflect more of our time and less of 1912, the year GSA was founded. Accordingly, there are now merit badges for computer programming and website divine and um, locavore living, which encourages the growing and consumption of locally produced crops and resources. But among these new merit badges was one called the Science of Happiness Badge. The Science of Happiness Badge. To earn this badge, girls must work for one full month on a careful strategy believed to increase personal happiness. The girls must practice specific behaviors, such as intentionally being forgiving towards others, and then a part of the assignment is to evaluate the effect of those behaviors on their overall psychological well-being. But they only have to do it for a month. A worthwhile endeavor to be sure. But in the Beatitudes, Jesus wants us to live this way all the time. It's not a badge you earn and then put on your jacket. It is an attitude. It's a state of mind. He doesn't just want us to do the Beatitudes. He wants us to become them. Blessed are you. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. This means we're not full of ourselves. It's not about power or our possessions. Happy are those who mourn. We should Never outgrow tears or become so indifferent or so self-interested that we can no longer cry for others. Blessed are those who are meek, and meek isn't weak. Meek is to be humble. It is to show goodwill toward others, to become a channel of God's strength and presence. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Disciples of Jesus know what it looks like to do right. Blessed are those who are merciful. The world needs mercy. And to withhold mercy is to deny our own humanity and that of others. Blessed are the pure in heart. We will see God because we've cleansed the thoughts of our hearts. Blessed are the peacemakers. We want to emulate Jesus to others, to our communities. For he is the prince of peace. And blessed are those or happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Or as the late John Lewis put it. We don't just make trouble. We make good trouble. And the pattern of the Beatitudes follows the three part formula. First the blessing. It's always in the present tense. And then there's the description of those who are blessed. And finally, the reason they are blessed. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is telling us who we are and whose we are. He contrasts the world's expectations with the reality of the kingdom of God. A reality that is both here and now, but not fully here. And this is why it remains a part of the greatest sermon that's ever 
been preached and remembered and talked about. The Beatitudes weren't necessarily given to make people successful and more calm in the moment. Now, I close with Eugene Boring, who's a scholar and says it this way, and I'll give him the last word. Christianity is not a scheme to reduce stress, lose weight, advance in one's career, or preserve one from illness. Christian faith instead is a way of living based on the firm and sure hope that meekness is the way of God, that righteousness and peace will finally prevail, that God's future will be a time to do mercy, not cruelty. Blessed are those who live this life now, Boring writes, even when such a life seems foolish, for they will, in the end, be vindicated by God. Let's pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for these words spoken so long ago that inspire us still to this day. Happy are those who follow your instruction, know they are blessed, and choose to live for your glory. Help us to not only do what Jesus has instructed us to do, but to be the very things he is asking of us. May we not do any of these things for our own glory, but for yours. For we offer this prayer to you through Christ our Lord and all God's people say, Amen. New to Central? Since 1840, we have been connecting people to God and to one another through scripture, sacrament, song, and service. We are located on the corner of College Avenue and Fulton Street in the Heritage Hill neighborhood of Grand Rapids. We hope you'll give us the opportunity to meet you in person soon. To learn more about our mission, ministries, and the ways you can grow and serve, please visit our website at www.centralreformedchurch.org.